Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's a national champion with FOG. He was also named the 18U MVP. He decided to commit to the University of Alberta, where he's been named Athlete of the Year and has a silver medal at national championships and Canada West. He's represented Canada with our youth national team and our next-gen program. Please welcome to the show, Max Elgert. Max, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. So looking at your bio, I think a lot of people would say like, oh, like you just must be an Edmonton guy. You played for Fog, you played for U of A, but uh, doing some research for the show, you're an Athabasca guy, right? So tell me about uh, growing up, the other sports you played, and then when did you have to commit to like commuting to go play club in Edmonton? Yeah, yeah. So I'm from Athabasca, which is like a small town of about 3,000 people, and it's uh, two hours north of Edmonton. So... Yeah, no real club volleyball there. So I grew up just playing like high school sports, uh, volleyball, basketball, badminton. I actually was in the cross-country ski club in Athabasca. So I did that pretty competitively till about grade 10. And that's about when I started commuting to Edmonton to play for FOG. So that was like 16 years, my first year FOG. And uh, yeah, my parents uh, put in a lot of hours of driving and uh all that to, to just keep me playing. So really grateful for that. Nice, nice. And I imagine uh, listeners of the show would probably recognize your last name and say, oh, like, does his brother play at Thompson Rivers? Because your brother, Sam, is also a, a varsity-level athlete. So was there some battles going on in the backyard? Were you guys playing Pepper? Like, what was it like growing up with a sibling who also loves volleyball? Yeah, uh, it was great. Like, always someone to Pepper with. And uh, my uh, dad helped us put in a beach court in the backyard. forget when that would have been, but, like, kind of during high school so lots of hours of uh, beach and uh playing like one-on-one short court on the beach court and stuff like that but yeah it was great so are you a homework and a car guy or like how did you convince your parents that it was going to be worth the drive to go play for fog because a club like that were you guys training like two or three times a week maybe like a weightlifting thing like how many hours were you putting into club yeah so i actually lucked out and my dad decided to coach the team so he kind of got to schedule the practices for what worked with like their work schedule. And uh, we ended up just going two practices a week, um, but longer ones, like we would do three and a half hours kind of thing. Um, like it usually be like six to nine 30 in the evening and then occasionally Saturdays. So it, uh, it worked out nicely that way with having my dad as the coach. Nice. And settle a rumor for me, because if this is true, I think it's hilarious. Does FOG actually stand for Friends of George? George, the creator of the club? Yep. George Tukarski. Uh, I actually taking a geometry class this term, and he's the prof. He's a, no he's way. a genius <laughs> math guy at the U of A. And, uh, yeah, he started it way back. Um, both my parents actually played for like the original like FOG men's and women's teams like i don't know when that would have been but back after they finished university so yeah i've kind of known george growing up like all along and uh yeah sweet sweet now when you started taking volleyball seriously and you're playing for fog uh did you ever play up at all because the reason i bring that up is we had maddox Greaves on the show and he mentioned with canuck like it was always like a rivalry with fog but he felt like 
18U was different with Fog because there was guys who were playing up, and now it seems like two, like the 17U and 18U amalgamated into this all-star team. And he's like, I know they're all Fog guys, but it feels like they're stacked now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I never played up. I was always with my age group, but we did have a few guys like Jackson Kennedy, um, Jake Donald. Those are the two, I think, that had played up, and they came back down uh, to play with us in 18U. Um, both pretty big additions. So, yeah. Yeah, and that 18U year, did you guys feel like that was going to be a day one goal that you got a, wanted to talk about, like a national championship and everything? Because looking at the other athletes who earned an all-star in their 18U year, I mean, you're playing against Siobhan, you're playing against Tariq, like Ontario had some really good players, uh, but also Eric Lepke's in Winnipeg and even getting through the Canuck team that had Jackson Howe and Jesse Elser and all these guys, like your age group across the board, it seemed like there was a ton of good teams. Yeah, I think... Uh... Yeah, it was, it was like strong competition, even in Alberta too, like Canuck was, we play them pretty much every tournament in the finals and uh, so, some pretty good 17U teams as well, like Fog 17U the year below us was good. I, I don't know if it was ever like, we were thinking we're going for the national gold, but like we, uh, we were close in 17U too, I think we came third at nationals, we lost to Canuck in the semi, so adding like Jackson and Jake was uh was huge and do you remember your 18 year like who was your quarter semifinal like i think it was canuck in the final but did you have cross over with pac-man or westman or was it a pretty tough road if you had to remember this is for 18 year yeah um yeah so we played uh apex in our quarter which is like a vancouver area team we had uh like colton Liu was kind of their guy and i think we went three with them uh and then we played westman in our semi so that was like Lefty's team. Uh, also went three. And then final, we played Pac-Man, which was uh, like Shalon and Tariq and those guys. And also went three. It was, it was a big day of volleyball. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And I, as I'm thinking, like that Pac-Man team, I think, had Jordan Figuera, who went on to play at U of T. Like it just seemed like the, a bunch of names keep popping up. But no, that that's really yeah. special. Uh, so with your club career, like you mentioned, you kind of t- started taking it seriously around 16U. When did you become a Team Alberta guy? Like, when was your entry point into the provincial team program? Yeah, same year. 16U was my first uh, summer. Um, yeah, I was coached by uh, Phil Dixon and Jordan Taylor. I don't know if you know those names, but uh, yeah, that was my first summer. Just like the little, like, two, three-week program or whatever they do in Edmonton. And uh, yeah, played with a, a bunch of guys like uh, Jesse Elser, Jackson Howe. Maddox was on the team that year. Um, yeah, bunch of bunch of Alberta guys. Uh, it changes every few years, but I think your year when you made the youth national team was that a selection from Canada Cup? Like, did you have to go to either Gatineau or whoever was hosting that year, and they selected the youth team from like your performance at that tournament? Uh, that year was just a tryout. They uh, they held a tryout in Calgary for the youth team, so just made it through that, and uh, yeah. Ben Joe was the, the coach that year. We trained out at Trinity. And was your competition the U.S. high performance? Or do you remember what uh, you guys yeah. were prepping for? Yeah, we were down in Fort Lauderdale for that one. Nice. And if you had to name drop, like, who was on your team? And then what was the experience like at that U.S. tournament? Honestly, yeah, similar, similar group. Like, <laughs> Jesse, uh, Jackson, Finn McCarthy, um, Jacob Dynam, one of my U of A teammates here. I don't know if I mentioned Maddox. Uh, Max Greaves, Dave Doty, Connor McConnell. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a, a good group, and it was sweet. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, 
we did pretty well at the tournament. We came second. I think we lost to uh, North California's like squad. They were they were pretty solid. A lot of guys that went to Div One and NCAA. Nice, nice. And if you had to recall, at what point did you start thinking post secondary? Like, were you a guy reaching out to coaches, or were you a guy getting approached? Like, when did you start looking at either college and universities and where you wanted to play? Yeah, I uh, I committed pretty early to U of A, so I didn't really get a ton of like recruiting trips or uh, a lot of coaches approaching me. I had done a few like just little setting one on ones with Brock actually when he used to run his uh, grassroots volley sessions. So him and Terry kind of knew me a little from that and then just from like the volleyball Alberta premier tournaments. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a, an ideal situation with uh, Brett being in his fifth year, uh, Brock and Terry both being great setting coaches and uh, also U of A having an engineering program, which was kind of like my, my goal for school. So I uh, didn't really look too hard elsewhere. I just stuck close to home. Nice, nice. Now, was that pretty freeing then? Like when you had an opportunity to work like a, with a coach like Benjo, where you knew like, yeah, he's a Trinity guy and I'm an Alberta guy, but like we can work together and I don't feel the pressure that he's trying to recruit me or talk me into something. Like what was the summer just learning from a different coach and I, I guess even a totally different coaching staff on that youth national team, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was really good. I, I enjoyed it. Ben was, uh, ben was a sweet coach and uh, learned lots that summer. So it was cool. Now I have to ask, cause when we had Chris Tao on the show, he was sharing some secrets about like what makes Brock so unique. And there was one drill Chris walked in cause the setter started earlier that day. And he said, Brett was at the net. And as the pass was going, he would say like a player's name in the gym. And if it was a certain color, he had to do a certain action. So like black was like a back set and everything else. Like, were you doing that as a youth athlete where you had to like look at the passer or look at somebody's knee pads and make a decision? Like, it seems like Brock's always looking for creative, like cue reading and, and decision-making stuff. Yeah. Uh, Definitely doing more of that now in like my last couple of years here. Early on, I I wasn't quite there uh, technically and <laughs> just experience wise. So I don't know. I, I remember having to do it in my first couple of years and just, uh, you know, contact point would drop and just be all over the place with location. But yeah, it's gotten better for sure as I've been working on that stuff with Brock. He's got some, got some really cool drills for uh, working on vision and decision making. Nice. So would you say when you're like 17, 18, progressing through high school and club and youth stuff, that it was more about like delivering a hittable ball and that and then as you progress throughout your youth sports career, it's about looking through the net, kind of playing those mini games with the middle? Or when did you start to like kind of have that feel for what the other team's blockers were going to do? Was it as soon as like 18U for you? I think it kind of started out, like you said, like delivering a hittable ball, putting the ball in the right spot every time. And then I found a lot of stuff just became situational. Um decision making I guess so you know reversing the flow forcing the mid like kind of stuff uh where I had a feeling of what the other team was doing but not necessarily looking and being certain and then more recently been working on actually yeah taking a peek seeing what's going on on the other side and then deciding now I, I think vision's fascinating and there's guys who see a lot and there's guys who don't see anything. So when you actually do take a peek, like do you usually catch the body language of the middle or where they're positioning? Like one of the most obvious ones that I, I think is great for a lot of young setters is Kieran McGovern said he used to peek. And if the middle, if the pass got pushed to four and the middle didn't follow, he would just run as quick and the, the, there'd be a huge gap there. Or if the middle did follow, he would set the longest ball to the right side or the C ball and they'd have a one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like is there simple stuff that a setter can start with? Or when you're looking through the net, like, 
how much body language or spacing or gaps are you actually able to identify while the pass is in the air? Yeah, I think I think it's just like that presence of the middle being there. You don't have to, like I think starting out, you don't have to see if they're like low in a squat for a commit or anything like that. It's more just knowing if they're with you um, or if they're centered or gone and seeing if those outsides are bunched. It's more just the presence of like where they are, um, which I think you can pick up a lot of the time just with your peripherals. Nice, nice. So when you enter U of A, you and I were just talking before the show, it, it was a lot of vets. Like if some guys had graduated the program, like the group who won back-to-back nationals, like some of them had trickled out, but like there was still Nickafor and Reed May and, and you mentioned like Brad and a few other guys. Like what was it like walking into that environment? Like did you have expectations that you wanted to play and contribute or you just knew there's a ton of talent in that gym and you're going to have to maybe develop and learn before you're going to get a lot of court time? Yeah, I, I think definitely knew I wasn't going to be playing a ton uh, starting out. It, there, there was a lot of talent in the gym, but I think it was like, great learning experience um learning from all those guys who, who knew how to win and uh had a lot of experience playing like national team stuff junior national team yeah it was, it was just a high level of ball in practice all the time which was uh which was really cool for for my first year it was sweet now other guys in your situation might walk in the gym and be like coach i'm, I'm the 18 u mvp like i gotta get a look here i gotta get some minutes like was that something you knew coming in because either Brock and Terry explained to you like the roster or was that just something you knew based on like the guys ahead of you? Maybe you've seen Brett play. Like uh, I'm curious how you didn't get sucked, uh, sucked into like this ego trap about like, Hey, I- I'm good. I should play right away where, you know, some first years walk in and think maybe they, they deserve something they're entitled. Like how did you kind of not lower your expectations, but understand that like th- this is a good team and you can help out, but you're not going to get the starting spot right away. Uh, yeah, I, I think I just kind of knew like it's it's a whole nother level going from, from club to university, and uh, I, I knew I'd have to look for a spot and not really be given anything. And I think Brock and Terry were pretty clear with that. Uh, when I was being recruited, it was you know Brett's our guy. I, I never expected to to really push there, but I think just learning from him was uh, was really great for for a whole year. That, that was sweet. Now, how did you kind of look up to Brett? Because we've had him on the show. Terrific guy. Obviously has a, a very unique style where he's pretty creative and he does things that work with his style. Like, did you ever feel pressured to copy what he's doing or maybe just pick his brain and add it to your own game? Because uh, like the, the year they won nationals, I remember he's running like out of bounds and five and bump sets a C ball. And it's like, he's probably the only guy in the country who's gutsy enough to make that play. Right. So did you ever feel like you needed to switch the flow or be creative or you're kind of like, I like this. I don't like that. Like what's going to work for you? Yeah, I think uh, there definitely got yeah, lots of conversations and picking his brain that first year. I, I wish I had done more. Um, he was uh, he was a really great leader too, which I think taught me a lot about just like being a leader on the court as a setter, um, seeing the way he interacted with guys and uh, he just helped bring out the best in everyone, like knowing uh, what, what situations were good for different hitters and uh, – and, and just keeping everyone rolling. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do wish I had talked more with him about some of that stuff. Like, you know, you get caught up in just going to practice, whatever. And uh, yeah, but more recently, uh, he, uh, he was training with us a bit with the next gen team in the summer. And uh, yeah, good to catch up and, and steal a little bit more knowledge from him too. And with Brock and Terry being so passionate about the setting position, 
um, kind of like the Chris Tao story, was there lots of opportunities for the setter to show up 30, 40 minutes early and you guys get like a lot of individual reps? Like how did practices kind of flow that, uh, like you said, like Walsh is legit and he's ahead of you and you got two coaches who love setting. So like, were you getting a lot of like reps and individual attention early on? Yeah, for sure. It was, I was, uh, studying engineering so it was a little busy like my school schedule but when i could find time they were always uh willing to get in the gym with me and just yeah do reps and then a lot of early week practices like monday or tuesday we get uh 20 30 minutes just just with the stutters and a coach and uh just working on stuff which was which was always cool just doing the same drill with Brett, like seeing what he's doing trying to copy you know yeah now We've had Brock on the show. I feel like I'm name dropping a lot, but the U of A guys have been great and come on the show often. The guy did his masters on the setting position. So was there anything you entered as a club athlete where like all of a sudden he can talk your ear off about the difference of like a right left step close versus a left right step close? Like, was there anything that he was very specific on that you're like, oh, I've never thought of it that way. But when you tried it, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, I think technically he's super strong as a coach and uh, has helped me a lot with, with everything. Um, I think notably like, like the work we've done on like my finish of my set finishing to target, um, he, he's, uh, really good at finding pro setters that have the exact same mechanics that he's talking about kind of when he's trying to teach me something. So we'll watch a lot of video, lots of, lots of video of Bruno's finish. He's really good at like when he runs that 60 with, uh, Lucas just, that like full on finish to the side. So yeah, lots of stuff like that. I think he's technically super strong, which, which helped me a lot develop. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the amount of video available, uh, like, are you a big volumetrics guy that you'll just kind of go down the rabbit hole and start watching a lot of clips in a short amount of time? Yeah. Uh, it depends on the mood. Like sometimes if I, if I want to learn definitely more volumetrics, if I just want to enjoy a match more like YouTube and view kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I do like watching video for sure. Nice. So as you progress and Brett graduates, like, did you feel like you were the next in line? It seems like U of A has a lot of depth at every position. So what kind of changed from your mindset of like, I'm here to learn and there is a big jump from club to like, you started to expect to get the nod and be a starter on your team. I mean, uh, I still didn't play a ton, like my second and third year. I kind of split time with Luke Brisbane. Um, he was a RDC guy they brought in. So yeah, so we, we both kind of split time and it was, but it was a good environment for me um, to really push myself because we did have to kind of battle for that spot. Um, and I, I think that made me better setter in the long run rather than just being handed a, handed a starting spot. Um, so I guess that change wasn't like, like I was just handed the spot. I still had to work for it. Um, and how do you like to approach those situations or maybe what advice would you give to a younger setter where, yeah, in most systems, I, I'd say nine and a half times out of 10 in boys volleyball right now, it's usually a 5-1, right? So there can only be one, but in practice, like you can share ideas, you can support, you can like give feedback to the other guy. Like how important is it for you to battle and feel like you're challenging the guy for the position, but also like you're in this together and you can share ideas and help each other out too? Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, super important. Two different perspectives is better than one when it comes to comes to setting I think so that that collaboration piece is huge in, in getting the best for your team um and uh I don't know it, it feels better playing when you know you've like earned it too I think 
So just, just keep grinding. Nice. And I do have to ask, as you started becoming an upperclassman and you're climbing the ladder a little bit, uh, did you give any advice to Sam about his recruiting or, or what U of A was like, or, or did you just kind of let him make his own decision based on, you know, his playing time, where he wanted to study, what he wanted to study? Like, were you trying to drag him to be a, a golden bear or you were letting him do his own thing? I think I, I mostly let him do his own thing. I definitely, we definitely discussed like uh, his options and stuff like that. Um, I, I think Brock had already picked up Cam, Aaron, our, our other setter. Um, who was the same year as Sam. So I don't know if Juve was really an option on his list, but uh, yeah, yeah, definitely helped him out in choosing uh, Thompson Rivers. Now I know Canada West is, is a tough schedule and you're probably firing up for every weekend because every game's so meaningful, but uh, is it nice being across the net from your brother? Like, does it just add a little something to the game that, you know, like your parents are going to be interested, family and friends are going to be interested that like, it, it just adds a little something to that game? Yeah, yeah. The few times we've actually gotten to play each other uh, have been sweet and like definitely some of my most memorable matches uh, in Can West. So it's too bad we didn't get to play them this year, but um, yeah, those are, those are always super fun matches. And I liked earlier how you talked about your style and you're watching Bruno and other international people, but I'm curious how your personnel changes your style. And what I mean by that is uh, Alberta has had some very physical guys at every position, but you go from middles like George, who's just like this big guy and he's going to take up space and be super aggressive to now you have a middle like Billy, who's going to attack gaps and be super fast and, and able to like really move and transition. So did that challenge your setting style a little bit where like maybe for George, he just needs that up and down quick in the middle and he's going to go around or over most people where Billy's shooting into gaps really fast and hitting different types of variations. Like, did you feel like you needed to adjust for what the middle needs or do you like to be so technical in your skill that the middle can just trust where the ball is and they're going to adapt to you. Yeah, I think you definitely have to adapt a little bit to, to who you're hitting. Um, it's, it's kind of that thing of like using their strengths. Uh, like you said, Billy's good at uh, the movement plays and he's really grown in that the past couple of years. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely the setting changes a little bit based on who you have attacking. Um, like when Tariq was playing here, uh, yeah, it was just like all about getting him at extension because when he's up that high, it, it's tough to stop. Um, and then we had other outsides kind of like like Alex McMullen, um, who was a real quick guy. It was all about just getting him fast and having that block being broken up from the speed. Uh, so I, I definitely think it, it changes a bit based on uh, who your personnel is. Yeah, and was that maybe a, a different ball you had to get used to setting? Like, again, to name drop, when we had Dustin Sire on the show, to get Gavin to hit a flat, but at the height he needed, it was like, a, a Dustin was like, that. he was the only guy hitting that ball. So I'm curious with Tariq, was that pr pretty unique from some other outsides you had said in the past that, like, you guys really had to work on that connection? Because you, you still want the tempo and the timing, but he's just cutting it off at a different range than maybe the average guy is, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. It definitely took a little bit getting used to um Kind of just felt like you were setting the ball super steep out of your hands, but still had to be quick. Um, so, yeah, took took some time, but uh, I think we kind of got the hang of it. Yeah. Now, is there anything that you've kind of caught on as a setter that you're like, oh, I can't believe that worked? Like some of the examples from setters we've had on the show is just like in a long rally, setting the same guy twice in a row. Or maybe in club, you see people go around the wheel and it's like, oh, it's a long rally. I'll go to this guy. I'll go to this guy. Where it seems like at the international level, they're not afraid to like go to the guy a couple times or to kind of mix in like the the middle pipe combo a little bit. Like, are there any things that you've adapted to your game that you're like, man, I wish I, 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 wish I knew this sooner in my career? 
I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of the middle pipe combo. I think it just it, it uh, really shakes up the other team's block scheme. Um, whether that's like two middles or middle than a pipe or pipe in the middle, like any any kind of mix is, uh, I think, is good. Yeah. Now, with you guys, maybe you don't have to answer this if Brock's not going to like it, but uh, it, it seems like it, it changes every few years. Like some people like to run the pipe off the shoulder of the middle, and some guys like to have it in like the farther gap. Like, if you found a certain rhythm that puts the other middle blocker under the most stress, like are you trying to run it pretty tight and it's a timing overload or is it a true gap for you guys? Like I've done both and our system right now is off our middle shoulder. Um, For the most situations, we have a couple other road changes, but uh, I, I like that because I think it gives you a pretty good reference point on where the ball needs to be. Um, and easier to replicate, I think, when it's just over that middle shoulder. So for coaches listening to our younger setters, like, obviously you, you might have an idea of what you want to do, but are, are you still in kind of a flow state of responding to the past? Like you might tell people where they're going or what tempo you want to run, but you're still going to always be at the mercy of the past, right? So are you guys running like an audible or how are you guys changing things up based on what you thought was going to happen versus sometimes the reality of the past? Yeah, it's definitely situational and, and, and based on the past, but we'll, we'll have a call and I, I kind of just give the middles like free reign to, to audible to something else if if the situation calls for it, right? Like, um, and, and, and our, uh, our older middles are, are quite good at doing that. Some of the young guys are still developing that skill of, of knowing where to go based on uh, past location and past height and um, but I, I think, yeah, our older guys, our, our older guys know where to be and kind of kind of let them make their choice in those situations. Now, obviously, that's going to come from experience, but are you being pretty demanding in practice and in early season practice about like when the timing is you need of that call or when you can kind of expect them to go there? Because some people might shrug it off and just say, oh, they make an audible call. But like if the timing's not there, maybe you are expecting something that like you're not going to deliver the same ball they want because they were too late. Right. So is that something as a setter you have to like tell them like this is what I need from you in these broken plays or once it happens a few times, do you start to kind of gain that relationship with what they're expecting too? It is something where you do have to demand that they make a good call early. Um, but uh, Brock's kind of idea is that like if you sense confusion in the midcourt like with your middle and the pipe just release elsewhere like um and and then get on the guy afterwards for making a, a clear call but uh yeah it, it is on them to, to be early and uh, decisive with what they're doing now one thing i find fascinating about the setting position is not only the technical stuff you got going on but the leadership stuff it demands and what i mean by that is how do you keep your middles engaged so they can keep earning people one-on-ones where maybe they're going to go six side outs without getting a touch and maybe that's going to demotivate them or they don't feel like they're contributing. Like, are, are you congratulating guys when they get a one-on-one? Are you explaining them to the value that like, as long as you're scoring, everybody wins, but there are some middles out there who like, if they're not getting their touches, they're going to slow down just a hair or they're not going to be as vocal. Like they, they can start to break down. Like how do you keep them engaged and valued when they're not getting the touches the outsides are? Yeah, I think it's just uh, getting getting in the ball uh, in a good situation, and um, yeah, just just encouraging them. Like when when they're when they're pulling the other team's middle, like just say like you know that's all you man. Like you 
you had them hold, like just just keeping them in it, uh, I guess that way, and then and trying to keep their volume like consistent throughout a match, not going like too heavy, and then nothing at all. Uh, I think just yeah, finding a way to keep them engaged uh, with with I guess consistency, but uh, yeah. And how do you personally like to think of uh, distribution? Because uh, another name drop here, we just had Tom Sawyer on the show and we were joking, like he likes to establish the middle early, like most setters are taught to, but then he's going to go to his hot hand where uh, the the episode he was on, he gave Hamish, one of his teammates, player of the game, because he gave him like 40 attempts and me and Garrett are looking at him like, that wasn't a game plan. You just overloaded your best player and he happened to score. Like, I was like, yeah, you just got to ride the wave sometimes. But like, it's funny when you listen to coaches and setters talk about, well, you need to establish this and you need to go to this and go to this. But sometimes at the end of the day, you just got to go to your best hitter, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I think you, you kind of got to have a feel for that throughout the match. And it's something I've had to work on because uh, I've had matches where I've, I've set guys that maybe weren't the most efficient and, uh, and that's, that's never good, <laughs> but uh, it, it is definitely just like having a feel for um, who's having a good match. And when you need, when you need that point, like, you know, who to go to. Um, and, and this year has been great. Like we had three out, like I would say three outsides, Jordan, Isaac and Brayden can all have their nights and be that guy. So it, uh, it makes it a little bit easier when you got uh, a few guys that can uh, really handle the volume like that. Yeah, definitely. I, obviously, good hitters make setters look fantastic. But uh, what are some things that you're processing in your mind? Is it is it who's blocking them, who's available? Because like there are going to be situations where everybody in the gym knows this player is going to get the ball. But maybe sometimes it's better for them to hit against a double than it is to get a one-on-one against a guy who's not finishing that night or isn't going to get it done, right? So what are some things that you weigh in your mind to kind of make those tough decisions maybe when it is – 23, 21, and you guys need to side out or you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely seeing who's blocking on the other side um, and also having a feel for what the other team's middles have been doing, whether they're they're following our middles or just completely in a, in a read mode. Because, um, yeah, if they are paying attention to our middles and I need a bit of isolation or break up a block, um, just, just knowing how their middle will react to our middle run too. Um, and, then, and then, like you said, just, just knowing who's got the hot hand and... Uh, and letting them go to work. Now, how often are you paying attention to the other team's middle or maybe someone on your benches? Because I, I won't say who for, you know, behind the scenes of the show, but some coaches have shared, like coming out of a timeout, maybe they'll tell their middle just to do a full commit, just to kind of see what you'll do if they change it up a little bit. Or, you know what, for the next three balls, we're going to leave early. And just to see, like, almost like baiting you to see what information you're gathering versus if you just let the middles react all match, maybe stuff happens, maybe it doesn't. Like they'll script a few situations to see what your reaction is, and then they can build their defense around that, right? So, are you the one kind of keeping track of what the middle wants to do, or are you getting support from the box squad or a, like an assistant coach or anybody? Yeah, I think uh, I get a lot of stuff from like Brock, and then also Cam. Like when he when he's our second setter, he's uh, he's got a really good mind for the game, so I think. He provides a lot of a lot of valuable info from the bench too. Um, he's playing left side for us right now, so he's a uh, he's a little more occupied with other things. But I think both from coaching staff and, and bench guys, they usually have a good idea of what's going on. And uh, I also like to try to take a look just after the after the points done, like where the middle ended up, um, and just kind of gathering the info that way too. 
For sure. Like with a coach like Brock, when you guys do get either the tech timeout or, or team calls the timeout, are you guys having like a first like 15 second conversation really quickly or does it usually go team first and then you? Uh, could, could be either, but usually usually there's a little bit uh, just me and Brock or me and Terry just talking about uh, yeah, the offense. Nice, nice. No, it's cool to see the inner workings and everything you guys go through. And uh, I'm curious, another part of your game that I'm a big fan of, uh, I actually showed some of your clips to the beach guys talking about how fast you can serve float serves and be aggressive that it doesn't have to be just bopping balls in. But uh, I'm curious with your jump float, was that something you've had since club or was that something you worked on university where uh, I think uh, Craig Marshall mentioned like your mid to high 60s on your jump float or, or higher even maybe now that uh, you can go up and, and hit it even though it is a float that traditionally guys are kind of lobbing it in like you're going for it. Yeah, I I think I've kind of uh, had that all along, but also it's also improved for sure. Like um, over my university years, uh, I don't know. I think I think it's all contact. Like you can uh, hit it hard, but if it's got spin, it's uh, going to be just an easy spin serve for the other team. So um, uh, yeah, I don't know if the speed's as big a thing, but yeah, just just contact is usually what I try to focus on. And how have you dealt with the expectations? Because uh, I, I don't know what they do at U of A, but there are coaches in the community where they're going to be patient with the spin server and they're going to be allowed to miss. But like, it doesn't feel like on a lot of teams, float servers get as much leash or uh, as much patience to miss. So how have you found the balance of like being aggressive and putting yourself in a position to like get some point scoring situations versus knowing that you're kind of the red light guy and you're not going to be allowed to miss if, if Jordan or some of the out, other outsides are spin serving, right? Yeah, I think it definitely having a feel for how the match is going. And if you just need to be a high percentage guy, um, either because the rest of your team's struggling from the service line, or maybe like just having a good block defense night, and all you got to do is put that ball in play. I think, yeah, just having a feel for, uh, for what's needed from the service line. And with you being a setter, like it is important to have a really good serve. Like, do you ever feel the expectations because, you know, the right side's in the front row, like you're going to have a good blocking lineup, but. Like if you put the other team in trouble, like that's going to be a good rotation traditionally for you. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, if we're having a good blocking night, that that's really all it is. It's just uh, put the ball in a good spot and keep it in play and like let our block and defense go to work. So when you're going back and, and you're in flow and you're really feeling it, like, are you cutting the court in half? Are you like positioning a passer that you want to move them to a certain zone? Like how accurate can you be at like some of the speeds you're hitting? I think when I'm, when I'm going for like a high speed, like harder serve, it's, it's just hitting a seam. Um, I'm a big fan of like the one to one six seam. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm like super precise. It's just getting it between those two guys and, with good float and I just kind of let the ball do the rest. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So you've mentioned contact a couple times. Is that something when you get into the gym and you're warming up your serve, like, are you just thinking about hitting through like the middle of your hand through the middle of the ball? Or like, what are some contact things that you focus on to know that like, like you said, I, I totally agree with you. The float is more important than the speed in certain situations. So how are you making sure you're hitting these balls dead? Yeah, I, I think like just high contact point and giving that ball like a little pop. Um, I find it really gives some good float. Uh, and then, yeah, middle middle of the ball. Those are kind of my few things that I'd like to think of. Yeah. 
Now, are there any gyms or maybe the U of A gym is friendly to you that you just find it works better? Because I'm sure if we were to pull some OUA guys, it seems like Mac just has something about it that the ball moves a little bit different at McMaster than maybe some other gyms. I'm wondering, have you found uh, maybe the the behind the curtain of how to make certain gyms respond differently? You know, it's been so long since I've played in like a few of these, <laughs> a bunch of the Can West gyms. I've, I've just played like the Alberta teams this year. I, I like our home gym. I feel like I always serve pretty well there. I, I do like uh, Trinity's gym too. Yeah. Nice. I don't know. Don't have a great answer for you with that one. So with you being uh, an Alberta guy, I'm curious, when you try out for the the national team, what goes into that decision? And the reason I bring it up is there's some logistical stuff there where I think where the center is sometimes influences who tries out for the team. Like it might be easier for an Ontario or Quebec guy to go there and just think like, oh, I'll go try it out and see if I have a shot because like you're not getting on an airplane, like the the cost isn't as much where do you ever feel pressure as an Alberta guy that if you're going to go to Gatineau, like you better be in the running or feel like you have a shot that you just can't go and like feel it out for a weekend? Yeah, there's definitely some pressure with that. I think uh, I tried out for junior team one year, which was my the summer before my first year of university. Um, and yeah, I didn't make it. And that's always tough. But it's, you feel like you put in a lot to, to prep for the tryout and go out there and uh, spend all that money on like flights and stuff. Um, and I actually, I took a few years off from national team stuff after that. I just, uh, you know, just like time in the summer to uh, decompress and have a little break from volleyball. And then this last summer, it was just uh, just like a selection through video. And uh, uh, I don't know what else they would use, but uh, just sent in like a little resume and video rather than going out to get another tryout. So um, I guess that makes it a little easier in, in some ways. But uh, yeah, so I've only really gone out to tryout once. But I, I, I do agree. I think it is like a little bit of a barrier for some of the, the Western Canada guys that would maybe be on the cusp of making it uh, whether they feel like it's worth it or not to, to go try out. Yeah. Like I just think the, the amount of chances you get at it maybe takes some of the edge off of the pressure or you kind of know, you know, you don't get distracted by coaches and clipboards and how many people are in the gym. If it's maybe your second or third try versus yeah. Like if you're paying for a flight every time, maybe you only go when you're really confident and that might be the difference between being a bubble guy or making it. So uh, I'm always curious about those extra external things, but when you get to Gatineau, I know it was a COVID summer, but uh, how much interaction are happening between the teams? Like you mentioned, you saw Brett every once in a while, but like, are, are you exposed to the senior A guys? Like how close were they to the next gen group? Or were you around the junior guys and you could maybe like help mentor them a little bit? Like how much was it feel like it was one big team versus you were kind of in your own little tunnel just based on, you know, rules and regulations and things like that. Yeah. With it being like a COVID year, they kept us like completely separate from the 18 guys. Um, but they were traveling a lot and competing at BNL and, uh, prepping for Tokyo and stuff. So, yeah, we didn't really interact with the 18 guys at all. I only got to see Brett when he came back to, to train with our team um, before uh, the uh, event in Mexico. Um, so, yeah, I, I saw him, like, more so than he was training with us. Uh, the junior guys, they kind of had our schedules, uh, I guess, like, offset. So we weren't always in the gym with them. Um, but we did do a few scrimmages with the junior guys, uh, but no, not a ton of opportunity to interact. They were trying to keep us uh, pretty COVID safe and uh, yeah, on our own. So. 
For sure. And I'm curious with you being a setter, the, when, when coaches start talking system, obviously like you have a big hand in that. When you go from your university to the national team, is there a lot of demand to change things, even if it's just like the language or what gap you're running stuff into? Like how steep is that learning curve and how have you found to like catch up with what the coach is demanding? Yeah, I think with, with this summer, uh, with the next gen team, I, it was kind of my first time back in like the national team gym in, in quite a while. So, uh, there was definitely some catching up to do, but a lot of the guys that were on the team, a lot of the attackers have been in the, the national team program for the previous few years. So I think a lot of it came from them just like working on that relationship with the, with the hitters. Um, and they, they'd let me know what their calls were and stuff like that, uh, was almost less from the coaching staff, but yeah, a lot from the guys. Now, is it pretty easy because we are all, all pulling in the same direction at all as Canada, or is there ever like a, a getting to know phase? Like obviously you've played against these guys most of your career, but when you're in the gym with a bunch of Trinity and UBC guys and a couple Mac guys, like is there a certain looking over your shoulder being like, man, I hate playing against this guy, or is it all welcoming because now you're on the same team and you guys can start working on like a, a Team Canada plan in that system? Yeah, no, it was all really good, like all welcoming, and uh, it was cool to get to know some of those guys that I've only ever played against, and uh, yeah, I, it was it was a good, uh, good vibe, good, uh, it's a good time. And with this year, with the way Canada West is going, like uh, you could look at it a few ways, but I, I think you guys are lucky in terms that you got to compete a lot, even though if it was against the same four teams, it felt like, like when they finally announced the schedule and you guys realized you're going to be in the gym, like, was it just a mood around the team room, like a certain excitement that the season was going to be back? Yeah, I think everybody was just kind of longing for some actual competition. So I, I think we were all pretty happy to just, just be playing. And you guys had a pretty stacked preseason in terms of who you were playing against. And you got to play the BC schools and even some, I guess they're calling them Central West division teams. But anyways, it, it was good to see like a bit of a mixed bag in the preseason do you feel like that's going to help you in the playoffs now that like you guys are traveling? Uh, like, I think you were in an Alberta conference only, and now you're playing against everybody. Like, d- does preseason have any connection? Like, did that help at all? Or have, so much time has passed that everybody's gotten better or changed something? Yeah, I think it was good, even just for like the sake of having some variety in our schedule and not only playing Alberta teams in preseason as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it was good for us. It was good to get that in. And, uh, and then, yeah, play some of those strong like BC schools and, and whatnot. Now, I may have to eat my words a little bit on this one. I was a little hard on the Canada West playoff format because I thought it was a touch too inclusive that 12 out of 13 teams got to make it into the first round. But after just being on the website and trying to watch as much as I could this past weekend, it was kind of a cool feeling to have like these pools of death and like you had to be top two and there was a lot of meaningful matches going on. I'm wondering as an athlete, like, did it feel like the the regular season had ramped up and it was serious and we're playing for keeps? Like, even though it was a pool of four and not a bracket, like, did you feel like a certain pressure or like it was on this weekend? Yeah, I think I really enjoyed it. Actually. I think it's it's a cool format and I think it accurately represented like the strength of each division. And like, I think, uh, yeah, we got some good volleyball from it. I think all, all the teams that were part of it, uh, so how do you guys and, and don't get me wrong if this is going to get in trouble with coach brock don't answer but uh i'm curious how do you prepare for this because every game is meaningful on a pool four so you got your your thursday your friday your saturday game like what was the week like leading up to it like how do you plan for three different teams like 
just overall game plan or was it just so much about like what you guys can do and what you can control and that was calming because three meaningful games in three days like that's got to be just a nightmare to game plan for yeah i i, I think uh it, it was a lot about just what we're doing and uh playing our best we, we did we did video on all the teams but um and it, it was a busy week because of that but i think uh yeah most importantly was what we were doing on our side so correct me if I'm wrong, but now you're leading into two pools of three and you got to be top two again, and that'll get you to like the traditional final four. And then do you guys get two spots for nationals? Like what is the rest of the Can West playoffs? Cause it just seems like a lame phrase, but the wild, wild West, like you guys are like, you played your first round. Now it's death round two. And then you got the final four. Like it, it seems like you guys are going to be playing tough matches for the rest of the month here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. We got, we have a four three um, this weekend. And then final four, I believe it's top three. You get a berth to nationals um, from that final four weekend. So like semis, and then there will be a bronze to decide that third spot. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Okay, so you guys will get the host because it's in Winnipeg, but then you'll also get three bids. Uh, yeah. So that's four. I guess one from RSEQ, and then are the rest three from Ontario? Like it's a bit of a weird nationals this year, I think. I think so. I, I I don't know for sure. Nice. But yeah, for you guys, like at a certain point, how are you taking care of your body and the small details where like, it, like I said, I think you're going to be in playoffs if we count nationals for like four, maybe five weeks in a row here. So how are you guys kind of managing the load, managing your schoolwork and watching video and being ready to go in the gym? Yeah. So we're, we're still, uh, still trying to hit the weights and make sure we're uh, in good shape. In a few weeks to come, but it, it is starting to ramp down a little bit with uh, with on court jumps and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, just all about feeling fresh for the weekend and taking care of recovery stuff um, after matches. Yeah. So, are you guys hosting your pool of three this weekend? Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, Brandon on Thursday and then Winnipeg on Saturday. And then, who will host the final four? The highest remaining seed. Highest remaining seed, yeah. Nice. So this is this is exciting. Like I said, I thought it was too inclusive and a little bit flirting with participation, but uh, I'll do a 180. I'm on board with the playoff format now. I think it's really cool and exciting. So it's just good to see so much meaningful volleyball when like we, we were kind of robbed, right? Like you're, I think COVID hit you guys right before nationals. Like you had already arrived in Winnipeg, right? So to go from that to playing meaningful games, like I'll, I'll get on board. It's pretty easy as a fan to get fired up for. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they did a good job with the planning. Um, it, it's tough going from like those three like provincial conferences to to, to all of Can West. Like, um, I think they did a good job of it. Yeah. For sure, and this is your last year, right? So, have you felt any pressure to kind of get the most out of it, or to be more vocal with the young guys, or maybe lose patience with the young guys when they're horsing around, or are you really good at like just staying in the moment and soaking this in? Yeah, no, I think I'm just trying to be present and like enjoy it. Uh, I think every graduated fair players said like it goes quick and enjoy it while you can. So <laughs> I'm trying to trying to do that and just have a good time with the boys. Yeah, sweet man. Well, we'll be rooting for you. I think it's it's super exciting, and uh, the U of A guys have been really nice to me in the show. So I appreciate you for coming on and sharing all that you did. Uh, one tradition we've added to the show is just to share a, a funny or unique story because the volleyball community is full of uh, some characters to say the least. So I was hoping you could give us a funny story before we let you go. <laughs> yeah uh so 
I, I guess I got one. It, it's his back in my first year. Um, Tariq and I were kind of the two rookies that would travel sometimes. And uh, so it was, our, it was our first road trip ever to uh, Thompson Rivers in Kamloops. And uh, I, I think it's probably like this with most schools, but for us, the rookies have to are in charge of taking some of the gear and jerseys and stuff like that. Um, so, so I got assigned the jerseys and Tariq got assigned the, the tripod for, for our video. Um, and it, it's coming down to coming down to the wire when you got to be on the bus and we have no idea where the tripod is. <laughs> so we're like kind of freaking out. All the older guys are gone. Um, and to, so I, I grabbed the jersey bag and Tariq goes to check the storage, um, like our storage closet and finds the tripod apparently um we get to the uh we get to the airport and uh Tariq goes to check in the tripod or what we thought was the tripod and it uh it ended up being like a ball cart and kind of like a, a case <laughs> so uh, and of course we're at the airport so they had to they had to check it and we ended up bringing a ball cart to the rivers with us and we uh we didn't really hear the end of that for, for quite a while so that, that's my that's my story. <laughs> now, did, were the coaches like, because uh, there is a pretty good community in Canada West? Did you just borrow a tripod, or did you guys get no like personal video from that game? The uh, the tripod was actually in the jersey bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we had the tripod, but just ended up packing a ball cart with us too. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you took some unnecessary rookie ribbing for that one, but uh, no, yeah. that that's hilarious. Like. Full on panic mode. You're holding up everybody on the bus. You just grab something yeah. and go. But oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh man, well that's a good one. Thanks for sharing that. So thanks for sharing all that you did. Uh, hopefully we didn't get you in trouble with with Terry and Brock for sharing some great stuff. Those are some great tips, and it was awesome to hear about your career. So best of luck with the rest of this season, and we'll have to get you back on because I'm sure national team and pros in in your future, and you probably got more stories to share. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Josh.